Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Truths We Hide podcast. Today's guest is Misty Huffman. She is actually the creator of Journey of a Combat Veteran Spouse on Facebook and journeyofacombatveteranspouse.com. Hi, Misty. How are you? I am fine. I'm just kind of waking up. I'm a night shifter, so this is like the middle of my sleep time, but oh, <laughs> I went no. to bed a little bit earlier. <laughs> no, I went to bed a little bit earlier last night, but um, I got disrupted by the phone. I usually turn the phone off. Oh, no, <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's my day off, so I'll, I, I, I will make it through. <laughs> well, tell us a, well, tell us a little bit about yourself and then how you started the blog. Well, I'm a respiratory therapist, so I'm used to saving lives for a living, and um. I had met my husband, God, I was 18. I'm 40, I'm gonna be 41 in a few months. So I've known him my entire adult life. And I kind of, we had met online in 97 in a Yahoo chat room. And we built up this friendship over 20 years. And I finally drove out here to meet him. And we had talked about dating on and off over the years and it just never kind of worked out. And we wound up meeting we got married shortly about four months later and uh it did not take long to realize that there was some issues in the home but i didn't do my research before we got together about ptsd and traumatic brain injuries and the things that can happen and i was suicidal many many times um conveniently enough a lot of it was when my son came to visit um so after the suicide attempt um when I was in the hospital, the doctor kind of enlightened me after an hour long, like mutual, or I, it was the doctor and I, and then my husband had called in and it was like an hour long conversation. And this poor doctor had to see the whole hospital. And when we got off the phone, he asked me what my husband was diagnosed with because he could tell by the way he was talking that something was wrong. So while I was in that inpatient program, I was clued into what was going on. So over the following year, um, I started to take notes and I've always kept the documentation when it came to my husband because I never knew when it was the last time I was going to talk to him. He retired as a command sergeant major in 2008. He was a special forces, 82nd airborne. Um, so he's been around. He did uh, seven and a half years of direct combat and it, it took its toll. Um, he went into the inpatient clinic last year. He had been having seizures for 10 years and they removed the cyst out of the frontal lobe in his brain. And it seems like after they did that, things just got worse. And March 5th is his worst trauma anniversary. And that's like the time that we experienced the most stress in the house. And uh, he woke up one day and called the cops and was like, take my wife away. I don't want her anymore. So it was pretty traumatic <laughs> just oh, ending God. our marriage this way. Crazy. So I stayed holed up in my house for several months, but I, when I left, I took everything that I could possibly take to piece what happened together. I took the security videos. I have all of our text messages. Um, I have all the documentation from his previous marriage. I had taken the computer where he saved all these files. So I started to put this together and look at it from an outside perspective, like with the, especially with the security camera. And I'm like, I can't believe I, you know, didn't see this while I was sitting there watching it happen. It's like, I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't know what. And I saw, so I'm like, you know what? Because he's, he's tried to silence me with this because I'm wife number four. Um, I've listened over the years to all the marriage problems that he's had. And it's always been, my wife is crazy. My wife is crazy. There was this common pattern. And then he pulled it with me and I was finally like, enough's enough. This is not going to happen anymore. I'm going to start to tell this story. We're going to talk about the pink elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. And in the beginning, and we have a stalker, so that's <laughs> a lovely twist to our story, but um, I started to tell it and then more and more people, you know, it's like I got to a hundred likes and then I got to 500 likes and it was, and then now I'm up over 6,000 and I really started to tell this story in October 
and I'm getting messages like, oh my God, I thought it was just me. And I'm getting messages from Vietnam veterans. I'm getting messages from their spouses. I'm getting messages from the veterans themselves telling me to keep doing what I'm doing. So that encouragement has really been helpful. And a lot of amazing things have happened. I've been put in touch with some amazing people like you. Um, so now it's kind of a turning into awareness and wanting to help the families um, because what I found through all this, because I'm called to be a crisis lion, there's like, there's nothing we can do. We only help the veteran. And that's the problem. And a lot of this, there's no access to resources for the family. Okay. And they suffer silently. It's, it, you know, we're not allowed to talk about it. It's kind of like fight club. You don't talk about it, you know? And so this is a, club that unfortunately we're all kind of a members of in one way shape or form but there's got to be healthier ways to handle this we're losing so many veterans a day and they just started to track the active duty spouses they're not even tracking the veteran spouse suicide rates and i guarantee you the numbers are probably fairly alarming yes um and i just don't want to see this happen to another woman i mean there was no reason I should have been suicidal. It was, he's a trained interrogator. You know, this man has got so many medals and awards. And what I showed a picture of him in his military dress, my, one of the guys on the page was like, oh my God, you know, cause his arms are completely filled with the stripes. He's whole chest of medals. I'm like, yeah, I, I know exactly what my husband has done and who he is. And I've built him up over the years in my mind and so when this happened it, it was very shocking it was very traumatic uh, I love the man to death I don't condone his behavior that he's had through this um, he does need to take ownership of that and unfortunately he's not and uh, so I'm telling our story uh, we've always because we were like one of the first internet love stories I guess um, every time we tell our story we would get drinks bought for us you know everybody was like congratulations and we were happy if you look at the pictures you know it's like smiles and love and then all of a sudden and i have the security video footage of the day all this happened and i'm looking back and you know i'm like oh my god what what happened i'm still standing here it's uh april 2nd will be a year and i'm still in shock you know it's like it, it's like it just happened yesterday and I I wish I had answers, but the more I read about it, the more I can see where things went wrong, where, you know, because he was always, he was, you know, gung-ho for family counseling, but as soon as we got there, he would sabotage it. Um, he didn't want the secrets coming out because his ultimate fear is that they're going to take his kids away. Um, every time his daughter goes to the guidance counselor at school, he gets all the guns out. He's got about 30 guns and he'll start cleaning them. And I was like, what is going on? Why is he doing this? Cause this became a pattern yeah. and come to find out, he thinks that the cops are going to come barging in the house and stealing the kids from him. Cause he has custody of his kids from his last marriage, which ended very, very traumatically as well. Um, so it all revolves around the kids, but it's like they're his soldiers and he's got control of that. But when they leave the home is my biggest fear. It's like, what's going to happen now? Cause he's going to be alone. And that's what he's told the kids. And, uh, I hope it doesn't end that way because he said several times that once the kids leave, you know, that the writing's on the wall for him. And my stepdaughter has been self-harming since fifth grade, which is a very young age to be doing that. And the child is very much like me. She's very empathetic and she's, you know, she feels all those emotions. And I just found out uh, last week, I believe that she overdosed on her pills. So she's escalating with her behavior of harm because of this. It's, you know, it was on like February 18th. This trauma anniversary is March 5th. So it's really shocking how it affects the kids, the spouses. I mean, it does not discriminate. Mm -hmm. And it's really scary because a child at that age, I know I didn't even know what self-harm was and suicide, you know, in fifth grade, but now it seems to be a common topic. Right. <laughs> and that's alarming. Right. 
So what do you have you what do you tell her about her dad? Is there anything um, when I left the home, my last words to her were until your dad gets help, nobody is gonna be okay. Yeah. And it's true because yeah. all of our problems center around his. Yeah. And, and my stepson was assaulted while my husband was inpatient. And that I'm looking back on Michael's worksheets from the program and I can see that this was really hard. He had wanted to come home. He had wanted to leave the program and he tried to blame me for terrorizing the children. But in actuality, it was because he wasn't there for his son during this trauma to him. Yeah. So it, everything always came back to me. It was always my fault for something. And uh, I had to tell my stepdaughter, you know, this is what's going on. And until dad gets help, there's not, you know, I just kept encouraging her to talk to her counselors, um, let them know what's going on and how she's feeling and be open and honest. But my husband puts so much fear in the children that they're going to be taken away by Child Protective Services if they talk, that they're not treating the real problem. So with me not being in the home, I don't know exactly how it's going. I did call the doctor's office and let them know what was going on. And I, I've been filing CPS reports because last, well, the last school year that I had lived there, my stepdaughter was getting her medication given to her by the school nurse because she wasn't compliant with the meds. And I figured that when I left, that that would continue and it did not. He's been ripping her on and off the highest dose of Prozac. And I've been filing CPS reports and telling them this can make a child suicidal. And then I think my last report was January 29th. And I said the exact same thing in here on February 18th, she did it. And I wish I was there because I, she's the only female in the home. Um, and she really feels alone and I can understand it. Um, her and I had built quite a bond and uh, it's really tragic. It's really tragic. So how are you taking care of yourself during this whole process? I do trauma counseling. I need to get back into it. Um, one of the main insurance reasons, um, TRICARE, when you retire, your co-pays are ridiculous. It's like $40 a visit for a trauma counselor. I have physical therapy coming up with my back surgery, which is like 30 bucks a visit. So a lot of it's funding. So because I've been in counseling myself since I was like seven, because I had some trauma in my childhood that was kind of unresolved because my mother wouldn't allow me to seek help. Kind of like my husband, she was afraid of the secrets to come out. And uh, I've found ways to overcome my anxiety over the years. I used to have some nervous twitches and like when I was in second grade and I managed to overcome them. So I know I'm strong enough mentally to accept the challenge, but I do a lot of meditation. I meditate my butt off. When I was in the inpatient program, I was introduced to it. And I remember after one of the sessions that I did, when we got done with the meditation and it was a big group, um, I felt like a, like this log on the floor after we got done meditating. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm relaxed. You know, I can feel this. I've been able to focus on just breathing and I'm a respiratory therapist. So it all focuses on breathing. And you're kind of like, why didn't they teach us this in respiratory school? Because this is important. A lot of our patients have anxiety because they can't breathe. You know? Right. So meditation has really been my saving grace in all of this. And I remember Michael making fun of me talking about it. And then when he got back from the inpatient program, he was doing it. He had downloaded all the apps. So he realized that it was helping him as well. But the problem is staying with it and doing it on a regular basis because you don't realize how much stress that your body turns into a physical symptom. You know, like we, all the e emotional issues that you have manifest as physical symptoms. I have irritable bowel and it's usually not much of a problem. When I was with my husband, I was in the emergency room. By the time our marriage was getting ready to be done, 
we had, I had like five doctor's appointments one week. And one of them was with the surgeon and they thought I had an intestinal blockage because I mean, it would be two weeks before I could go to the bathroom. I was nauseous and vomiting, like just out of a dead sleep, I would wake up puking and it was all stress. And I'm looking at the security cameras and I look so bloated and so fat and days I lost 35 pounds it just fell off and my irritable bowel issues resolved so I started to realize what the stress was doing and that I needed to just find ways to alleviate that stress and anxiety and I usually I'm, I'm a workaholic I love taking care of people I absolutely love my job I love my patients but I can't work all the time right <laughs> so I started to craft um when Michael and I Let's see, we separated in April, and I think I got my machine in January. So I started doing a lot of crafts, and that was kind of like my mental escape. I was, you know, at the end of the counter watching all this chaos making flowers, you know. So it was, I had to find some kind of peace and some kind of happy place in all of this nightmare. So I did my arts and crafts, and I do a lot of meditating. So now I'm doing the crafts to help fund. A nonprofit. I really want to start a nonprofit um, to help families that aren't getting the access to the resources that they need because there's many of them. Right. So it just kind of evolved into that, and the response has been overwhelming. And what was really cool last night, I got a message from a girl, and she's like, "I've seen your videos." And you look familiar and I'm like okay this is you know there's a lot of people out in social media you know <laughs> and sure enough it was a former co-worker of mine from 15 years ago and she lives in about an hour from a lady that I've been talking to who was going through a lot herself and needs somebody who understands and this lady is completely aware of the health conditions that this woman has and what it involves so I've kind of found her a friend you know so <laughs> it was worth speaking up I mean there's been some negative you know feedback as there always will be and I just have to kind of look over that right because so many people are responding and so many positive things are happening that mm -hmm. it's just drowning out the negative now and it's really great and yeah. everybody's kind of interacting on the page and giving each other advice and that's what I want to see but um, I think it was Erica Hope Bradley on your last one had talked about, we need to just not, you know, we have to get out in the community. We have to knock on those doors. So that's what I really want to work on, you know, is getting people to help each other and be there, you know, cause this is across the country and there's a lot of people who live near each other and we don't talk about this. So we don't know how to find the people who are suffering like us. Right. You know, there's no, hey, we're in a PTSD group. A lot of people, they can't talk about it. So yeah. even though I don't get a lot of comments and interaction on certain topics on my page, the private messages that come through in response, yes. telling their story and a lot, you know, I have one girl who um, grew up as a Jehovah's Witness and was sexually abused and she was traumatized and then she finally left and she's with a veteran who just adores her, which is great but he's got his own problems. So she's got a whole new, you know, life of PTSD to deal with while dealing with her trauma. Right. So she wants to tell her story. And I have another lady who wants to tell her story. So another one of your guests had, had talked about the, the Kindle app that you can write your own book and uh, publish it. So I'm thinking if I get enough of the stories and the ladies are up to it, of actually publishing our stories so other people can see that they're not alone because throughout all of this that's the one thing that we all feel is that we're just alone that we're crazy right and that we're the only ones who are suffering like this and we are not there are some even more insane stories out there than mine <laughs> so um i I'm, I'm just in shock that all of this happened and i wish i would have done the research prior to getting married it probably would have turned out a little bit differently, but um, man, 
this is a big problem in America. This is a big problem. So what advice would you give somebody who's, who got married, who's in that situation, you, especially when the veteran has scared the living daylight out of you into not speaking up? What do you do? What, what you have to take care of yourself first. As women, we, we're nurturers, we're healers, we want to comfort, but we don't realize while we're in the midst of all of this that what it's doing to our health. Um, so the most important thing is self-care. You have to take care of yourself. Reach out. There is a ton of private groups out there. Um, and that's where I got the idea. I had joined one of those private groups and I'm reading these stories and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm not one to stay quiet. I will speak up. I'm a big patient advocate at work. <laughs> I, mean, I, I get along with my patients and sometimes it, inter it interferes with my coworkers. But um, I advocate for them because a lot of them don't have a voice or they're scared to speak up. And what I have found and what started this is the stalker that got thrown into our mix. She had harassed another lady for five years prior to stalking my husband and I. And we became pretty good friends. And she was really scared at first. Um, it took her a few months to kind of open up. But then she realized after reading my post that, you know, what was happening and what was going on and the trauma that I went through. So we kind of helped each other through this. And now she is very strong woman is speaking up against a lot of things that she suffered through. So that self care and having the courage to speak up because the one lady with the health problems, she finally stood up to her veteran and he put the alcohol down. It's been, I think she said since February 21st, since he's had a drink. So they do realize that what they're doing is, you know, not helpful, <laughs> very stressful. And that if we do speak up, you know, there are some who are violent, so I don't recommend doing it with the spouses who have become violent. And you need to get out of that situation if that is your case. Yeah. Um, somewhere safe. There are plenty of options out there. You are not stuck. Reach out. We'll help get you in, you know, in a, a touch with the resources that you need. But speak up. Um, the VA recommends family counseling for everybody when it's this severe. So one of the number one things to do is get involved in counseling. Um, there's no way to handle this on your own without it taking a toll. You really have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of the family as a unit so they understand what's going on and how to help their veteran. So encourage, 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 join one of the private groups just to have some, because you have to be able to talk to somebody. I was isolated. I moved out <clears throat> to Texas, 1900 miles. I live in, I grew up in Michigan. I left everything. So here I was out here isolated, which is what they want. And I was, he's in a motorcycle club. So he only wanted me to talk to his motorcycle club family. Well, then when I would talk to them, that was a problem. So it was like, don't talk to anybody, but you need to. You absolutely need to, even if it's private and you can't share it with anybody, you have to have somewhere to vent and to get that stress off and to understand that you're not alone. You're not crazy. The things that are happening, you know, are very real and you have to get the mental help. But the problem is you can't force your veteran. It has to be their choice. You're right. So you can either love and stand by them and deal with it and, you know, uh, suffer through it without help. Or you can start to do your research. Um, you know, like I said, I've had a lot of people reach out through the page. And even those people are like, thank you so much for listening. You know, I just needed to talk about this. And sometimes that's all they need is, you know, is just to get it off their chest and have somewhere to decompress. But definitely reach out don't stay quiet you know if it's an unsafe situation obviously stay quiet and go get help but when it comes to this the more people that speak up the more others are going to be more comfortable because they're going to see that they're not being judged because that's the big thing it's all fear what are they going to think of me when they hear this yes. so speaking up helps you know it's like a whole new me, me too movement 
um, only with PTSD and this really grew very quickly. Um, and I know there's tons more out there. I just want people to take care of themselves. I don't want to see somebody else suicidal. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I, I commend you for doing this for, for finding that strength for continuing life and for making it, I don't want to say into a positive thing, but you, you kind of did, you took your, your triumph and you made it into yeah something positive and it's to help other people. That's know. what I always try to take the negative and find some positive in it. Because right. if you focus on the negative, that's how you're going to feel. Yeah. It's going to drag you down. It's, you know, and it, it's very unhealthy because it's very stressful and people don't understand what stress does to the body. It, it has a very big impact and I can't do, I can't unpack and live there. You know what I mean? It's not me. Um, I'm one to speak up for people who don't have that voice and it's, I just helped a veteran. He was fighting with the South Dakota VA in Rapid City to uh, get a special MRI because he's got this malformation and they kept blowing him off and they've also got him flagged. So every time he shows up for an appointment, the VA police mess with him. So he got himself an appointment out in Philadelphia. He got in touch with a doctor that he found on YouTube that was doing a video about that malformation and explaining what happens and that, you know, it's only diagnosed with this um, assigned MRI, which is where you have to stand up so they can see where the pressure is. And uh, he went out to Philadelphia and I had to encourage him because he, when he went to the VA out there, because he was trying to look for housing help, the, the police had re reacted because he checked in and of course the red flag was there on his account. But when he went back, because he wasn't going to go, he was not, he was so upset, so negative. I'm like, listen to me, I will help you out with housing, but you have to go to that appointment and you have to stay positive treat them with respect and you'll get the respect in return. And he was not hopeful, but his visit turned out very positive. So he, his whole attitude changed. I could hear it in his voice. Um, and he's actually getting the help he needs. And he just had to keep a little faith um, as healthcare providers. We remember the folks that we help who are very appreciative and that carries over to the next person who comes in with the same problem. Right. So it's a dominant, you know, we might not see the results of our behavior and our story, but it does impact others. And as long, even if I help one person, it was worth it. You know what I mean? Right. That's Absolutely. one life saved. Right. And that's going to continue down the line. And that person's going to help that other one find that strength and just find that silver lining and all that negative. There is a silver lining and you just have to look. Because if you're looking for negative, that's all you're going to find. Misery loves company. You're so right. And it's just, it's amazing that you are able to, to even share something like that. There are so many out there that absolutely need to reach out to you because you've found a way. And it's hard for people that are in that situation to think there's any hope because they feel stuck. And you're right. They feel like they're alone. They have no one to talk to. Um, there's so many, and I think, and you said it earlier, you know, when, when you created this, this group and this page, you're not always going to get positive feedback, but, yeah. and so we need to learn. And, I, and I've had that too. I've had people who don't agree with what I do or why you put yourself out there. Why do you, yes. you know, yes. why do you share your story? Why do you share your family, your family stuff? And I say, you know, it, it's part of my own self-healing journey, but it's because I know now that I'm not alone and there's so many people out there that need to hear from us. And same with you, you, you know, there's so many out there. They just haven't stepped forward yet because they're still trying to figure out a way or they're scared. And yes. And what's even going on? Because when you're in the middle of this, you're just, it, it's like, it's almost like an out of body experience. You're watching all this happening and you're wondering what on God's green earth is going on here because it creates, my husband is very, very delusional. Um, the last email that he sent me is so full of lies and delusions that 
I'm sitting here with all of the evidence going, what? You know, <laughs> where is this coming from? But his entire frontal lobe is damaged. His reasoning and logic department is gone. And when they removed that cyst, it's like they took what was left. We were in the, uh, the day, 14 hours before he woke up and did this, um, on March 5th last year, which is his trauma anniversary, my stepdaughter attacked me. She just blew up. Um, she had been bottling up all this frustration. And I was a child her age at one time with PTSD who attacked their step-parent. Um, but my stepdad was a very loving person, so I didn't have this reaction. Um, but I require hip surgery. I have a back surgery this month because I was trying to prevent her from hurting me because she come busting through my bedroom door. And this was all because I took her sheet music away because she called me a fucking bitch and a bunch of other things. And my husband wasn't home. So I just took the sheet music and I was going to put it in his bedroom closet. And that was on March 5th. And on April 2nd, we had, on the 1st of April, we went to the marriage counseling appointment that was just beginning that he had set up while he was inpatient and I sat there and we had gotten a phone call from the school again that my stepdaughter cut herself so I opened up the counseling session with that he turned around and looked at me like I just oh my god I committed the greatest sin but once we started to talk the things that came pouring out of my husband I was in shock I just sat back for that appointment and I just watched and listened because he had told her that he can't tell fact from fiction. You know, he creates these lies to tell himself to cope, but now he's to the point where he can't tell if that's what actually happened or if it's something he made up. Um, he was told he was a risk taker while he was out there in the inpatient program, like the second or third day he was there. So I had all these messages like, oh, I think it's better left to you to decide that. I've been labeled a risk taker. Um, so he really opened up and it's like he was in fear of that. And when we got home, we had a family meeting and my stepdaughter had lied about a situation saying that we got into a fight and my husband went back on the security camera and seen that lo and behold, it didn't happen. And he realized that she was creating these lies to cause problems. And when I brought up with my stepson, I was telling the actual story of what happened because he had left the room um she told me to shut up and you can see the change in my husband's face it went from like this nice relaxed and then it was a dr jekyll and mr hyde he looked at her and after that moment things were not the same it was like he realized that you know she was causing problems because when he was right before he came home she was screaming at me that she wants her dad to herself so I always was like, God, this is like a reverse Oedipus complex watching these two. And then I found about emotional incest. And I know it sounds like a terrible word, but it's, it's really not. Um, but it's where the a parent puts their baggage on the child to the point where the child feels like they need to protect and they need to cover for that parent and they need to help them get through all this. And that's not the weight that a child should carry. Right. So that's what's kind of going on is he uses his daughter as a crutch and it's created this environment of chaos within the home because the child controls how things happen, you know, and it's a very messed up dynamic and you can't treat the problem unless you talk to your provider about what's actually going on. And I had so much hope when I heard him talked to the counselor and he unloaded all this information. And then, you know, we, I have the video, we go to bed, he's all loving and he's a very loving human being. And I wake up and I asked him to use tin foil on a baking sheet instead of parchment paper. And that was the trigger. It was like the floodgates of hell opened up, the demons came out to play and he was calling the police. And even the police were like, you know, you're trying to claim your wife abused your child, but why didn't you call a month ago when, you know, she attacked her, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because he knew that she attacked me. He's afraid I'm going to prosecute the child. And if the police seen the video of her coming after me, that she would get in trouble. So he deleted it. Oh, Everything. Goodness. He and he, he didn't delete the whole segment. He only deleted that little part. So it was like completely obvious that 
he realized what was going on, but he has the need to protect his daughter, but he's not protecting her from the right things, you know? Right. Um, he needs to be honest with himself and I, he's in so much fear of those, a truce that he hides coming out and what the repercussions are going to be. But one of the things I've always tried to do with my posts is keep them positive and, you know, tell it from his point of view and not run him into the ground because he's not as terrible, he's, but he's not a bad human being. In his mind, he is. Right. And that's why, you know, all that self-loathing that goes with PTSD is causing this behavior. But um, I've tried to keep it positive. So, and there's been so much support for him too. And that's kind of what I wanted to do was help him confront his fears so he can see that there's not much to fear. Because a lot of his fears are, I don't want to say ridiculous, they're irrational and they're very minute like the results that you know that would happen if the if these fears came out to light are very minimal but in his mind they're so built up and so scary that just the smallest thing he can't confront that so i you know when he starts to heal and i'm sure he'll navigate it to the page and see what i've done but he's going to see the support that's out there Yes. And it's not negative. It's not a husband bashing page. You know, right. I still love the man very much. I don't want anything to happen to him. And I will always encourage him to be a better human being right. and to behave better and to take care of himself. But I'm not going to accept the toxic environment either. You know, I, there are boundaries and you have to lay those boundaries out and say, this is what I'm going to accept. And this is what I'm not. And if you cross those boundaries, this is what I'm going to do. And you have to follow through, you know, you have to, your actions and words have to match. Right. And, but you have to take care of yourself. You absolutely have to, because you're the only one who's going to look out for you at the end of the day. You're so, so We right. have to take care of ourselves. You're right. That's, that's amazing. And, and I'm sure it just, it took time to actually come to that realization. Mm -hmm. But I, um, I was thinking you had mentioned earlier about seeking help. I, I personally have reached out to, and I forgot where I saw them at, but I'm glad I reached out. Stephen A. Cohen. That's where we were going for counseling. Okay, That's where we were set up to go. And I actually have to call them to get my records because that's the last piece of this a puzzle that I need to get. Okay. But yeah, they're a nonprofit. They yes. help with the military, um, and that's where we were going to get our counseling help. And my stepdaughter was really excited to get a new therapist, and he blew it up, and he took her right back to her old therapist, and this is kind of what's happened. But the Stephen, <sighs> yes, absolutely. If, um, I do encourage other families to reach out. You know, if they don't have the access, um, look and see if there's one in your area. They absolutely. will help military families. Michael had this all set up before he left the inpatient program. So yes, absolutely. And they are a great resource. They are for the military families. So they have the experience. Um, a lot of the problem is you go to these counselors and it, if they're not used to dealing with the military, when they hear our stories, their reactions are like, what? Oh my God. You know, they look at you like you're crazy. And right. you feel crazy when your provider is looking at you like, oh my God, well, what a crazy story. But when you deal with an agency that deals with the military family, it's kind of more, our, you know, it's our crowd. It, you know, it, that's part of our tribe. And we don't yes. get that stigma. I mean, right. civilians, oh my God, I started driving Uber to help get over my social anxiety because I was holed up in my house for like three months and I was just scared to death to even leave the house. Um, very paranoid, didn't understand why. So I started doing Uber to get over it. And I, we have a Fort Bliss here. So I spend a lot of time driving my soldiers around. And when I started to tell the story, even the active duty soldiers are like, what? I didn't know it could be that way. 
Yeah. And I'm like, you need to pay attention. If you see something, you need to speak up and support your buddy because they're who you are the ones that they're looking to for help and advice and to say something because in the civilian world, they do not understand. No, you're right. And they look at you like, what the hell? Why are you dealing with all this? And we're like, this is kind of normal for, you know, PTSD families. It's really this bad. Yeah, when people think it's that easy to get out of something, it's really not. It's not. And if you love the person, you know, it's like my whole life was upended. You know, we had not talked about divorce. Um, One of the things he kept saying when after I was inpatient, uh, because he... I was diagnosed with PMDD, which is a premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And I've had hormone problems since after my first child's birth in 97, but it was mislabeled as bipolar. So I was on medication for that, but I had my hormones treated. And since then, everything's been fine. I've been off all the medication. I was on like 800 milligrams of Seroquel with him. And the minute he left the home, I started passing out. And it was because the meds were too much. So I was able to get off all that psychiatric med. I take my hormone pill. I still have, you know, that our, he always said, I could tell when you're having the problems, it's the third week of the month. And I'm like, that pattern right there should tell you it's not bipolar. Right. (laughs) It's uh, if it's the third week of the month, which I totally agree because I've mapped it out myself, that's hormones. But he wants to tell everybody I'm crazy, sick, manic. But he had said that the, because his, daughter and I both had the same counselor. And when I was in the inpatient, he had told me that the counselor said that if I was manic again, he had to get a divorce. And when I came home, I fired the counselor. I was like, I'm not seeing you anymore. But I asked her at one of my stepdaughter's appointments, did you tell my husband that if I was manic again, we had to get a divorce? And she looked at me like, no. And she went and checked the HIPAA form that it was signed. And she told me what she said. And that's when I realized that the things that Michael hears, he's changing. Yeah. So he's not receiving the same message that they're giving. And in that last email, he's trying to use all these people against me. And I'm like, go ahead, because they're not going to show up in court to testify to this. And all the things that he has said, they're not true. And they didn't show up in court to testify. The CPS caseworker because he tried to he tried to use CPS against me and have me charged with family violence and child abuse over this attack by my stepdaughter in order to protect her and CPS closed the case with no findings of abuse the police were not going to investigate the judge didn't even hear the story nothing we didn't even enter the courtroom and he dropped all those charges oh my because God. he knew that there was nothing there Right. But in my husband's mind, this is the story that he's created. So he's going along with the storyline. And at some point in time, it's going to have to end. And that's kind of why I want to get this out there. And yeah, there, the crazy stalker lady is like, you're airing out his dirty laundry. You're just hurting him more. And this is not being done to hurt. Absolutely not. I really want other veterans to see on his cognitive behavioral therapy worksheets, the thought processes that he's working through. Yeah. And that, you know, a lot of these guys are sharing those same thought processes. And my husband is the soldier's soldier, man. He is just, he's an awesome human being. I've gotten messages from men that, you know, serve with him. And we all love and adore him. Mm -hmm. But on one of his worksheets that I have right here, he says that um, I don't think I deserve the so, you know, like all the, the things that people say I do, like he doesn't see that he's a good guy with all these awards and he's a leader. He yeah. sees a completely opposite human being. So PTSD really changes the perception on how you think. And that's why cognitive behavioral therapy is really important because it, you you have to retrain the brain. Yes. Um. I can't promote CBT enough. Um, it is really important because you have to keep working at it. You know, it's a self-driven, so you really have to keep at it. 
Yeah, here it is. People talk about my accomplishments and I don't recognize that person in me anymore. Mm, and seeing these thoughts is heartbreaking. It, it breaks my heart every time I read these. So a lot of times I have to take a break because it's so overwhelming. But knowing that that's what's going on in his mind that he never talks about and that he's suffering silently. Um, it sucks. You know, he's a command sergeant major. When he retired from that, he went to work for the International Sergeant Major Academy here on Bliss, and he was the director of the foreign, and he built up the program. It devastated him because he didn't get to see the results of all that work that he did over these years. Yeah. So he's really feeling, you know, he doesn't know Michael. He enlisted at 17, and He's been a soldier his entire adult life. Then he worked for the government. So now here he is. He's going to be 58 in October. He doesn't know who he is because he never had a chance to find himself during that time where we're all discovering ourselves and our interests and what makes us happy. He was in war. Yeah. And you have to stop and look at it from his perspective. Yes, all the nasty and angry things he says, they hurt. And, you know, we all know how we can react in anger and outburst and say things that we don't mean. And, but when you see where it's coming from and what he's holding and all that baggage, it makes it a little easier to f forgive yes. for what he's done because you know, he, his behavior is abhorrent. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The things he has done to the wives is just absolutely terrible. He's tried to destroy my life and take me out, but that's what he's been trained to do when he perceives a threat. You know, it, it, this is the natural response. I've been a, a, aware enough to protect myself and to take notes and download the security cameras and do all those things but most people don't have that luxury they don't get to see it from that perspective so that's why i really want to share the story because then they can see the whole picture and not just you know wondering what's going on why is this happening well i'm going to show you why that you know here's from point a to point b the whole big picture because most people like I said they don't have what I have they don't have that luxury to see what their veteran is thinking on paper on video you know and being able to put that whole story together right. um, I'm a lucky one because I guarantee you if I did not have this information I don't think I'd be here to tell this story right now because it, it just this overcame my entire life yeah. it just it, it, it rocked my foundation to the core with this experience because I idolized this man, you know, he was my American hero, my American badass, you know? Yeah. I am so, I, I really hope he, he overcomes this. I hope he gets the help that he, he needs. And, you know, I'm just, I'm so glad that you have come out of this with such positive outlook in in trying to help other people i i can't imagine but for everybody listening you know i know she's available um i know stephen a cohen foundation's available you just go to cohenveteransnetwork.org and you find the location and they're wonderful I, they're really wonderful you can um and then find find misty go ahead and tell us where we can find you at um, you can find me on Facebook when I'm not in Facebook jail. Um, <laughs> the website, uh, the, it's at a combat vet spouse. And then on that page, I have a link to my blog and my web page because I kind of put the controversial things on there. So I don't get reported on Facebook and banned. <laughs> um, so like the self harm and children post that's on my blog. What was that? His ex-wife is a nurse. And she used to drain her blood in self-harm. So that story's on there. But on Instagram and all of these places, I mean, I was put in touch with somebody locally who had seen my post on Instagram. Um, but they don't have a Facebook. So I try to keep it in all the areas. I don't do Twitter too much. I don't really understand the tweets and all that <laughs> stuff. I, this day and age in social media, you figure we would be a little bit more ahead, but I'm still kind of fumbling my way through this. There's a whole but, lot uh, out there. <laughs> there is. And on the website, um, 
it's on Wix. So I'm trying to pull it up here because I'm on the. Uh, it's wix.com slash combat vet spouse and all my contact information is there. Um, I have a number that you can text or call, especially right now because it's the only way I have to communicate with the people on the page. But I'm even getting messages from people who are like teenagers dealing with their parents. And it's not just combat related. They're, you know, they've been sexually abused or they've been verbally abused and they're looking for advice. I mean, the reactions that I'm getting from people and who this is reaching is just amazing. There are times I'm at work and I open up the messages and I just cry because people are coming forward and opening up and feeling better about talking about it. Because right. you don't realize how much better you feel until you get it off your chest and you have somebody who's able to relate to what you're saying and not look at you like you're crazy because right. that's the common response. It is. Gosh, and thank you so much for, for sharing your story and for being so vulnerable. Absolutely. I, I absolutely appreciate you being on here and you guys don't be afraid to reach out. Um, as you can see, she's been through quite a lot in her life and oh, yeah. she is there to help you. So thank you again, Misty. I, I absolutely appreciate it. And I can't, you know, I, I, yeah, I can't thank you enough for just Well, I thank here. you for reaching out to me because when I got your message, it was like, oh my God, you know, it was just, you're, what you're doing is awesome. And I really hope that your nonprofit gets up off the ground. I have cried my way through every one of your podcasts because I'm like, oh my God, I could totally relate to this. And oh my God, she's right. <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to hearing from more people and hearing their stories and what, you know, because this is the only, we're going to have to help each other. You're right. That's our we do. We only way to together. get through this. You're right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm glad we finally got the internet connection to work. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. All right, Annette. Thank you so much, honey. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Truths We Hide podcast created by A Wild Ride Called Life. To find out more about our mission, visit www.awildridecalledlife.com.